welcome all of you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. And uh, with Dr. Holm out of town, I'm really happy to welcome Jill Cruz, a family medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I know Rick really appreciates it when he and Joni decide to uh, just take a little trip in one of his very friendly and helpful physicians are happy to come in on the air. I really do appreciate it. You know, before the program, we were talking about the fact that MD is not on your name tag. DO is on your name tag. Why don't you tell us what a DO is? All right. So DO stands for Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. And it's really an equivalent degree to MD. So MD and D are considered the same, but uh, we come from a little bit different uh, philosophy. Uh, it's kind of like Catholics and Lutherans. <laughs> we're, we're both Christian, close, but, really close. but we're, we're close. Yes. Yeah. So it started in the 18, uh, late 1800s. Dr. Andrew Taylor still was a physician, an MD, went to medical school. And uh, he decided that he was interested more in preventative medicine. And that was a very shocking thing at that time. I mean, at that time, we're not really into germ theory or washing hands or antibiotics. Uh, Just take care of the injury that's already At that time, it's morphine and amputates. That's about (laughs) all you have for medicine. So he was really um, uh, revolutionary in how he was looking at medicine. And he was also kind of the first orthopedist uh, in a way. Um, He was billed himself as a lightning bone setter. So apparently, if you had a broken bone, he could get it set and straight very quickly quickly and spent a lot of time uh, paying attention to structure and function of the body. So what he said is there's uh, three tenets of osteopathic medicine. So this is kind of what he said, you know, um, this is what a DO believes and this is what our our history and stance is, is one, the body's a unit, person's a unit of body, mind, and spirit. So we uh, talk about DO as being uh, focusing on the whole person, not just the disease. Um, Number two, the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. Now, that was unique at that time. Very unique at that time. I mean, that was mind-blowing, completely new idea that no one else had kind of thought of. And then the third tenet was structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. So the body if something's out of whack that you're not aligned properly that you can have issues and that rational treatment is based on understanding these principles of the body as a unit self-regulation and interrelationship of structure and function so he was the first to say that if your heart is hurting or your soul is hurting that can affect your body and your physical health so again very revolutionary ideas and dios traditionally have been Um, more accepting of minorities. In his first medical school class in the 1880s, he had women, which at that time it was almost unheard of. A woman doctor in 1880. Oh, my goodness. Yes. In fact, uh, the medical school I went to, Des Moines University, um, was started by his nephew and his nephew's wife, who was also a physician. So, again, 1898, to have a female professor on faculty at a medical school is unheard of. So they've been very open uh, DOs literally since their inception of females and minorities and letting them in. Um, So we do a lot of what's called osteopathic manipulative treatment. So uh, what that is is uh, seeing if things are aligned properly and straight and then adjusting them. And a lot of people say, well, isn't that a lot like a chiropractor? Well, chiropractors and DOs have a very long history. Um, The 
man who founded chiropractic medicine actually shadowed under Dr. Still for a summer. And Dr. Still uh, worked with him and said, hey, you show some potential. Why don't you um, come back and enroll in med school in the fall? And the guy said, no, I'm good. Went back to Iowa and opened up his own school because in the 1800s, you can do you that. You could open your own you school. You could open your own school of, of chiropractic medicine. Was based it the on first school learned. of chiropractic mm-hmm. then? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. From Palmer in Iowa. Yep. So DOs and MDs uh, have had a, kind of a long history of a uh, little bit of rivalry and and, uh, and working together. Working, and, yeah. Uh, the DO, I think, actually is um, more close to a medical doctor than a well, it is a medical doctor. Because I mean, it is. I know. It is. I, I mean, it's MD, not close yeah. to. It's, it, it, is, is. it is a medical yep. doctor, whereas a chiropractor really isn't. Well, it, a chiropractor, is. it's a totally different. They have their... They limit themselves to certain to, things they right, can do. Right. right. Where DOs can be any specialty. You can have DO neurosurgeons. You ha- can have DO you know, orthopedic surgeons. You can have DO pediatricians. So a DO can be any medical specialty that um, an MD can. And actually, their residency training now are completely combined. There is no separation between the two. So, together. you know, when I was training, there were some DO programs, strictly DOs, and some MD programs because back in the 60s, they it's were kind of seen as inferior and no longer and that. now it, it is no longer seen as inferior yeah okay well if you see dr cruz in the clinic and or in the hospital and you see do instead of md you'll know why she's definitely a physician yeah. and a very fine one yeah. we are going to take a break now uh we'd be glad you know our program is usually run by your call so if you give us a call at 692-1430 we would appreciate it and we'll try to get back to any questions you might have right after these words. back to Prairie Doc Radio. As I mentioned at the outset, Dr. Holm and his wife are enjoying a vacation time. Actually, they followed me to New York. <laughs> I just got back from New York and they left, but their son is uh, doing a program there and Rick is involved in it. So I, I hope it all goes well and they have a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Jill Cruz is with me today and Dr. Jill Cruz is a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. And before we continue on, we just discussed your background in medicine. Um, I thought I'd mention too what we're going to talk about on Dr. Holmes' television program tomorrow night. On Call with the Prairie Doc is going to cover um, antibiotics. Uh, the miracle of antibiotic resistance. So they're going to be talking a lot about antibiotics. This program aired in December of last year, but if you didn't catch it in December, a lot of you were pretty busy then. It actually aired the two days after Christmas. So the likelihood of your seeing it then is not too good. So please tune in tomorrow night on South Dakota Public Television at 7 o'clock for Dr. Holmes On Call with the Prairie Deck. Dr. Cruz, I know there are times when the need for an antibiotic is indicated, but when a patient visits your office and insists that they need an antibiotic, how do you handle that? It's very difficult, and honestly, I wish I could say that every single day I am strong and true and you know, don't ever give in to unreasonable antibiotic requests, but I will tell you, every doctor out there has done it because we feel pressured. 
and we are human too. And this is an art as much as a science. So telling if this is a bacterial infection sometimes can be difficult. So we can make mistakes. I will be the first to admit that physicians can make mistakes and we can cave to pressure. And right now, doctors are under lots of scrutiny. Scrutiny from the government, scrutiny from patients, scrutiny from our own employers. So it's just a very hard time where we have to walk that fine balance between what we feel is morally and ethically correct versus what we're being asked to do by everyone around us. So it can be very challenging and sometimes it is easier to give in and give someone what they want. You know, I think about that. Medicine is so advanced. It, I keep thinking, boy, it'd be wonderful to be a doctor now because there's so many more tools and so many more ways for you to help people. But then you look back to 60 years ago and no one ever questioned a doctor. You could just practice medicine. You were God's gift because you were taking care of them. And if they didn't live, it was not the doctor's fault. It was pretty ple pleasant for doctors years ago, I would think. <laughs> I, I would think, I I don't know, I didn't practice back no. then, so <laughs> you would but have now, to ask Dr. Yeah, Holm about the golden yeah, age. Might. The golden age, but I do think, I mean, I can still remember if my mother called the doctor, she just sat on the phone and we all had to be mute. If one person said anything, she'd have her hand up and, you can't talk, I'm talking to the doctor. And it was like she had called either a doctor or a priest, either one would be equal. And it was just, you really put them on a pedestal. No one should be on a pedestal, yeah, in my I, mind. I, no I don't one feel wants comfortable to be, on that pedestal. No one no. wants to be on a pedestal, but it would be nice if, um, if you could practice your medicine where you know to be ethical, and then you get all these pressures from so many sources. It's gotta be tough, it really it, does. It is challenging, and I think that's why there's such a uh, issue right now with physician burnout and physician suicide, and um, there's just, doctors are just not being able to be the doctors that they want to be, and it's really hurting them uh, emotionally. Tough deal. Yeah. Dave, if we go back to antibiotics, why don't you tell us, why can't I just use an antibiotic whenever I want? What is wrong with that? Well, first of all, it's not going to help if it's not bacterial. And not all antibiotics are the same. Each one is directed against different bacteria. So, you know, someone will say, well, z never works for me. Well, did you have a bacterial infection that a z is effective against? They don't work great for ear infections, but they work really good for strep throat. So do you have the correct um, antibiotic for the correct bacteria? So it's not just any back antibiotic will treat any bacteria. It's not a one size fits all. So you have to have the right antibiotic for the right bacteria. And, you know, if it's a viral infection, it's going to do absolutely nothing at all for that um, because viruses aren't responsive to antibiotics at all so it, it's very difficult so if you have you know well i have this antibiotic left over from my bladder infection and now i have a sore throat it, not the same story it's not the same no. story it may not do any good but why has the overuse been a problem nationwide what is well, happening there now we're getting more bacteria that are resistant so bacteria are pretty smart and they can adapt and this is why bacteria have been around for eons they adapt and overcome so we found that there were certain natural things, you know, learned about penicillin from bread mold. I mean, so um, now the bacteria is finding ways to 
fight those antibiotics. And now we're having things like MRSA, uh, methicillin-resistant bacteria, and then uh, VRE, vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. So there are these bad, what we call superbugs, that now we're running out of antibiotics that we can use. And the problem is no one's making new antibiotics. There isn't new research coming out for antibiotics because, one, the ones we have currently are cheap. Drug companies aren't going to make any money off of a new one. So we're using up the ones that we have currently, and no one's making new ones. So is it true, then, if you um, reduce the use of antibiotics over a period, maybe five or six years, that there will be less MRSA and there will be less problems? Huh, I don't know if we're going to reverse what we're having, but we can definitely slow the progression. Okay. Because, you know, I have, oh, even 20 years ago, you didn't hear much about MRSA. You know it existed. But in the past few years, you mm-hmm. do hear more and more about it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. it's really uh, it's gone wildfire. Deal. Now there's more. It used to be something you only got in the hospital, and now there's community-acquired MRSA. So you're getting it and so having no exposure to a hospital or healthcare system. The best thing in antibiotics then is to just trust your doctor and don't push for them. There are times when you want to give a person there, an antibiotic, yes. right? Yeah, and I will always say I'm open to dialogue, but I'm not open to arguments. <laughs> <laughs> I like so that. <laughs> I, I will be happy to talk and explain uh, my thought process with people, and I think that's sometimes why my patients like when I have residents and students, because then I'm explaining to the student my thought process and thinking, and I, I try to do that with my patients, but sometimes the explaining the why behind why I'm saying no. Uh, again, that paternalistic, which is the way medicine used to be, it, because I said so, because I'm the doctor, doesn't fly for people oh, okay. nowadays. But there's so much information available um, I don't think we can sit on that pedestal and say, well, because I said because so. Because I said so, right. <laughs> so Doesn't we work. need to educate and explain, this is why I'm not prescribing you an antibiotic. Um, but it's very hard because when you're sick, you want to do something, anything, to get, to well. get better. And as a doctor, I want to do something, anything, <laughs> to make you better. So it, it, the hardest thing, I think, is to tell people, no, I, I can't help you. And that is... It's devastating. <laughs> right. Devastating to you and to the And patient. to them. It's devastating right. to everyone. No mm-hmm. one likes to hear that. So, you know, it's easier to say, okay, have this antibiotic and they go home happy and, you know, you, yeah, but you move on. But, but yeah. you know, that's yeah. not in anyone's best interest. Well, if you'd like to know more about antibiotics, be sure to catch Dr. Holmes on call with the Prairie Doc tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, South Dakota Public Television. And we will be back right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio and Dr. Holmes' uh, vacation time. We're so pleased to have Dr. Jill Cruz, who's a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Medical Group in Brookings, join me today. We were talking about antibiotics, and as we did, uh, we had thought about something during the break. How about microbiome? Our own, what is it? Our own microbiome. You brought this up. Yes. Tell me about it. So we're covered in bacteria. Everyone thinks that bacteria is bad and we don't want it, but there's actually bacteria that normally live on the skin surface, and there's bacteria that live in your intestines. And these bacteria are very important in how we digest food and how we 
um, deal with things. So if you're taking too many antibiotics, you can kill off the normal bacteria in the intestines, the normal bacteria in the vaginal area. And that's why um, people can get diarrhea after they have antibiotics, or you can get vaginal yeast infections after having antibiotics, because you've killed off your good neighbor bacteria that lives on your body in instead of just the bad. So you get this collateral damage. So to say all bacteria is bad and must be eradicated, no. Not true. Not, not true. true at all. No. If you killed every single bacteria on your body, you would die. <laughs> that would not be good. So, you um, know, and we're finding that these microbiomes are affecting our health um, much more than we ever anticipated, um, especially with, like I said, digestive health. We're finding that there is a correlation between the microbiome of the gut and weight. So some obesity, we think, is related to the bacteria because they've done studies in people that are... Uh, very obese and compared the bacteria population and the different subsets of bacteria compared to people who are naturally thin and don't really have to work to keep their weight down and they have vastly different bacteria microbiomes so they're they're looking at how do we adjust these biomes to help with weight loss potentially when you say the word biome you still kind of have me what is a biome biome just means a population Oh, the group of bacteria yep. is your biome. Yep, so your biome. everyone so has... It's the little neighborhood of bacteria living either on your skin or your, your personal biome. Yes, we all biome. have our own personal biome. Mm-hmm. How about um, probiotics that people take to uh, relieve discomfort? Yep. So that's replacing your biome. It is. So we're saying probiotics because it would say, hey, take this pill of bacteria culture. People would say, ooh, I'm not going to swallow disgusting. bacteria. Yeah, Yeah. so that's what probiotics are. Okay, so probiotics are trying to enhance your biome. biome. Exactly. And so you do think that they are a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I've I've seen them be very helpful. Yeah, I I know personally I had just always had kind of a roiling stomach. I don't know, it always Mm -hmm. made noise. I used to kid, you know, so your stomach is going again, you know, just kind of rolling and rolling. And a couple of years ago I started a probiotic I won't go a day without it. Mm-hmm. I think it really has enhanced my biome. I yep. never knew I had a biome. But yep. And the problem is with too many antibiotics, you can get an infection called Clostridium difficile, which is a bacteria that normally lives in the gut, but in a small population. If you kill away the good bacteria, it can kind of take over, and then it causes this terrible, nasty, uncontrollable diarrhea. That is very difficult to treat, and you have to be on extended periods of very strong antibiotics. And sometimes it can keep coming back. So what they've found to do, um, one of the treatments, if the antibiotics fail, is they can do what's called a fecal transplant, where you replace the microbiome bacteria using someone else's stool. That's either um, dried and placed into a capsule that you swallow, or... um, they can do a colonoscopy and inject this stool material or use an enema to inst- inject basically it. inject someone's healthy bacteria from their stool into, into your it. system. And it really helps. It's amazing. It's amazing. It sounds horrible. It's but it's <laughs> amazing. If it helps, we'll put up with it, right? Yeah. Well, while we were talking, we had a question about somebody experiencing heartburn and mm-hmm. is experiencing it more in the past year, maybe once or twice a week. Should she be worried about this or just part of getting older and she's around 62 years old? Well, I would definitely talk with your doctor. If, if anything changes, if it goes from being 
intermittent to being more frequent. That's always something we want to look into because acid reflux, you know, you think heartburn is harmless. It's heartburn, not that big a deal. But over time and over extended periods of time, heartburn can cause damage because your esophagus is not designed to handle stomach acid. And if you're getting stomach acid into your esophagus, what can happen is those cells there can start changing and they can change from esophageal cells um, they kind of toughen up and become more like stomach cells and you're like well what's the big deal now we've got nice acid resistant stomach cells sitting in your esophagus well they don't belong there and since they don't belong there that are they are at a higher risk of turning into cancer so someone who has long-standing reflux or new or worsening reflux we definitely do like to see in the clinic and sometimes we need to look down with a camera which is called an egd and look down and look at that cells and do a biopsy and see is there any change to the cells is there what's called barrett's esophagus which is a precancer condition where those cells have changed and keep a close eye on that and do we need to again look at the bacteria because there's a bacteria in the intestine called h pylori helicobacter pylori that can cause stomach ulcers again all about your balance of if that bacteria balancing is there. the bacteria in your yep. body it's all about keeping everything in balance okay well see it's a deal principle be... right there <laughs> <laughs> absolutely keep it in balance well on that note we're going to keep in balance and take our final break and we will be back right after these words back to Prairie Doc Radio. Happy to have you listening today with Dr. Holm on vacation. I'm happy to welcome Dr. Jill Cruz, a family medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings, to the program. This has been interesting. The time is flying, and we had another caller who would like to know whenever she goes in for a doctor visit. She's always asked, if I've fallen in the past year, why is this important, and why do they keep asking me? They ask because it's a government mandate. So Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services requires that we ask patients whether they have fallen in the past year, and that should trigger uh, further questions. So if you've fallen, we kind of want to know why. Is it because you've got neuropathy and you don't have good sensation in your feet, so you're losing your balance because you're not feeling where you are? Are you falling because you have an inner ear problem? Are you falling because, you know, this is the first signs of dementia or something, a bigger problem coming on. So we want to see that as a symptom. One, are you safe at home? That's the other thing. So if you say, you know what, I tripped over my dog, we'll go, okay, that, that happens. Kill the dog? No, don't do that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Keep the dog. Right. So, but we want to find, you know, if you're falling more, why? We, we okay. want to find the why because if you fall and break your hip, that is really... Uh, we find that that tends to be the beginning of a lot of big problems for people. So we want to prevent those falls that would cause serious injuries, especially as you get older, bones get uh, more brittle and fragile, and you don't bounce quite as well as you used to when you were younger. So we want to prevent falls in the first place. You know, is it a medication side effect? Like Dr. Holm would say, are you on too many medications and they're interacting and fighting with each other? Do we need to look at something? Is your blood pressure too low? So that's why we're asking that. Um, it's considered what's called a quality measure. So we are graded on one, how many people we ask this and two, what are their answers? Because if we're good doctors, we should catch this and prevent falls as much as possible. So this, I had thought 
when that question started being asked in the past couple of years, it was because of age. You ask all your patients, or is there a certain age where it's government mandated? Medicare. So anyone who is on Medicare. So has it to is be. an age related. So it question. is an age related question. You don't feel the need to call, ask a younger person. I don't ask five year olds if they fall nah, in the last year because they're no. falling the whole time. Yes. Okay, you leave those alone. They bounce. Right. Okay. <laughs> Well, you're talking about falling, and someone just came in with a question about falling last week, just fell, and her shoulder is painful. She's tried heat and cold, but wonder what might be the best treatment for a painful shoulder. Do you think she should just treat it herself? Well, I would say if it's happened, it's a week and it's not getting better, it's always prudent to get checked out. I've seen people that come in that have been walking on a broken ankle for a week. So I, I have seen very tough. This is South Dakota. People We're here tough. are tough. <laughs> so I, I'm never surprised when I see someone with a serious injury that they've been just dealing with because they're tough. Um, so if it's still hurting after a week, I would definitely come in and get checked out to see if there's a shoulder separation. It could be a sprain. It could be a muscle strain. I mean, it could be lots of things. Uh, so without seeing it and doing a full exam, it's it's difficult to know. Um, but for most muscle-related injuries or joint-related injuries, the good place to start is rice. So rest, ice, uh, elevation, and compression. So anything that kind of helps wrap it. Uh, we usually say ice for the first 48 hours, and then afterwards heat helps kind of relax the muscles. So Okay, so start with ice. That's start with ice. Know. Or yep. rice. Rest, right. rest ice, ice, elevation, compression. Elevation and compression. All good things to remember. Okay. Well, that should help her with her shoulder. You know, we're running out of time. We just have a couple minutes left. Is there something, a note you would like to leave everyone with? Or any subject you would like to summarize what we talked about? Or would you have some new news for us? Well, I would say with the uh, Brookings Summer Arts Festival coming up, it's going to be hot out there. Make sure you wear your sunscreen. Make sure you stay hydrated. Um, because definitely uh, in this hot, humid weather, you are at risk for uh, heat exhaustion and heat stroke. So uh, we want to make sure that people are, are drinking plenty of fluids. And if you feel that you're getting lightheaded or dizzy when you're out there, go inside and get somewhere cool and, and cool down. Because um, definitely uh, heat exhaustion can hit in these warm temperatures when they do come. Okay. And I don't know, Bob, how's the weather supposed to be this weekend? Do you it know? looks pretty good, I think. Not too hot? Well, it's going to be summer hot, you know. Summer what do you hot. expect? Okay. Yeah, 80s, maybe. But if you, you know, some people go to the festival, and they haven't been outdoors for two or three hours at a time mm -hmm. all season. They right. just don't sit. They don't realize it, but nobody, unless you're into outdoor activities, you're really not outdoors that many hours. And you get over there, you're out there three or four hours. Mm -hmm. You've got to remember to drink. Yeah. And water Drink is your fluids. Really water is the best. Yes. And as Rick would say, what is the fluid? There's a great drink that the Methodist Church has. Be sure to stop by their booth. It's a fruit drink. Oh, it's just right. delicious. We'll push that one, right? Good stuff. And, of course, eat a taco bag because I'm at the taco bag booth. I think that's it. Uh, we do hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc Radio program. As always, you can hear more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org where you may also learn more about the exciting activities of the Healing Words Foundation. Thank you, Dr. Cruz, for being with me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, and thanks to all of you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. I'll close with Dr. Holmes' weekly reminder. Stay healthy out there, people.